So this is week two of our series called Rest for Your Soul, Caring for Your Soul During the Stresses of Life. And today we're really going to dive in to our theme passage for the series. We'll continue to build on it and come back to it, but our, our key passage for the series is found in Matthew 18, so you can start to open up there. It's Matthew chapter 18, verses, or, sorry, 11, 11, so I've never preached three services before, so, so we'll see, but uh, 11, verses 28 to 30. Uh, it's three short verses, but a lot in here, and so this is the morning we're going to really kind of unpack what it is that Jesus is saying in this scripture. Matthew 11, verses, 18, uh, verses 28 to 30. I'll read it together, and then we'll, we'll start to break it down a bit. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the word of God. So we'll just dive right in here and start to to parse out what Jesus is saying in this passage. And we'll we'll organize it this way. We're going to look at three invitations, two promises, and a big paradox. So I will break down what is in this passage. Three invitations two promises, and a big paradox. So we'll just get right to it. The first invitation is the the opening words of this passage where Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. It's the first invitation. It's foundational for all the rest. I want to make a couple of observations about this invitation that Jesus makes. Come to me. First, it's really striking who he targets this invitation to. Who is his audience? Who is he issuing this invitation to? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. All you. Very encompassing. And the people that he particularly singles out are the weary and the burdened. There are a lot of invitations come to me that we hear different places in our society and our culture A lot of them have some qualifications or some standards, some selectivity to them. Could be our colleges and universities that we've talked about who who select their students and say, come to me, you who have the best transcripts and the, the best grades, academic ability, extracurriculars, come to me and I'll teach you. Could be job recruiters, business world, come to me, all you who have the best and brightest skills and talents and work ethics and credentials. Come to me and and work for us. In the world of high-profile athletics, the further along you go, the invitation is, come to me, you who are the strongest and the fastest, the most equipped, probably the the youngest. Come to me and join the team. Even religion, unfortunately, oftentimes issues invitations like this with some qualifiers. Come to me, you who clean up your act, get it together, who are following the rules and and well-behaved. Come to me. No one issues as wide and broad an invitation as Jesus. Come to me. All you and those he selects and singles out are those with nothing to return, nothing to offer in reply, those who are weary and burdened. It's not for what we have to bring him, but for what he has to bring us. Come to me, you who are weary. Come to me, you who've got nothing left in the tank. Come to me, you who don't have it all together right now. Come to me, you who've screwed it up, who've 
made bad choices, whose life is in shambles. Come to me, you who are struggling and hurting and can't figure out your way. Come to me, you who, whose health is deteriorating, who have little and little left, who, who, who by all external factors have, have not much left to, to contribute. Come to me, you who are dying. Come to me, you who no one else wants, and I will give you rest. And everyone else, too. But he singles out those with the least to offer in return and the most vulnerable. Come to me, all of you, and I will give you rest. It's such a broad, it's such a, an open arm, such a wide invitation to come to me. But the second thing I want to highlight is that it is come to me. So it, it's the most far-reaching and open invitation there is extended so far and wide, and yet it is such a, a narrowly focused invitation. The object is very specific. Come, all of you, to me, to Jesus. And this me here is the first of seven personal pronouns in just this very short passage. In just three verses, we got seven times Jesus says, me, my, or I. It's all about him. So he issues the invitation to come so, so broadly, but he directs it very narrowly and specifically to him. Come to me. And that is the heart of this passage, the heart of this whole invitation to soul rest, is first and foremost an invitation to him, an invitation to Jesus himself. And we'll see the personal pronouns continue as we go on. Our next invitation is to take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. I just want to show you what a yoke looks like, an image. Anyone in Jesus' day would have known what he meant by this. It's a a common everyday thing for them. And a yoke is a symbol. It's used often in the Bible to just help help people make a point, as an image. It's a symbol. But it's something that links together a couple of cattle or oxen, beasts of burden, to help them do their, their labor and their work together. And there are a lot of times yoke is used as an image or a picture in the Bible. The interesting thing is, just about every time the Bible refers to a yoke, it's a negative thing. It's a negative thing, a yoke in the Bible. Sometimes it's a yoke of oppression, a yoke of being under the unjust rule of some some ruler or, or kingdom, under the yoke of injustice, under the yoke of slavery. The New Testament talks about being under the yoke of sin under the yoke of the law with its demands that we can't keep. Almost all the time, a yoke in the Bible is a negative thing, and often God in the Bible is one portrayed as one who breaks yokes off of people, who shatters yokes, unties yokes, lifts them off of people's shoulders. He's a yoke breaker in the Bible most of the time, except here. We have the, the instance where a yoke in Scripture, is a positive thing, where Jesus is not breaking it off, but actually putting it on. Take my yoke upon you. It really stands out in contrast to any other yoke. It's very different, and it's a yoke unlike any other yoke that Jesus wants to put onto us. And the real difference is in the character of the one putting on the yoke. And he describes his character for us. Take my yoke upon you, And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. 
It's who Jesus is, and it's, who, it's his character that makes this yoke different from any other yoke. He is gentle and humble in heart as he places his yoke upon us. Gentle and humble of heart. I want to unpack this word gentle just a little bit. The Greek word is, is praeus. Some of your Bibles might say meek instead, and that would work because it's the same word that Jesus uses when he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So you could say, I'm gentle, I'm meek, and humble of heart. It's important to know what he means by this, and and Pastor Tom has given great sermons in the past, actually, about what meekness really is, and it's important to know that meekness does not mean weakness. Meekness does not mean weakness, but meekness actually is the sign of great strength. Meekness means someone who is incredibly strong and yet submits that strength in service, not to build themselves up, but to build others up. And that's what Jesus is here. So when he says, I'm gentle, when he says that I'm meek, it doesn't mean that he's weak. It doesn't mean that he's soft. It doesn't mean that he's a pushover. It's actually, A, that he's strong, and not only strong, but stronger than any other strong man, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's of great strength, but he leverages that strength sacrificially on behalf of others, spending his strength in the service and the building up of us and other people. That's what it means that he is meek. And that is his character, and it's his character that makes his yoke unlike any other yoke that anyone else would ever place upon our shoulders. Come to me, take my yoke upon you. And the third invitation he issues here is learn from me. Learn from me. Again, a very Jesus-centered invitation. Learn from me. There's a lot of different kinds of learning we can do and all kinds of stuff we can learn. And as a matter of fact, we learned last week that the amount of information we have available to us now to learn is unprecedented and and multiplying at an unprecedented rate. There is more information available to us now than has ever existed in, in the world. And the rate of information we have available to us is doubling every 12 months. So there's a lot of learning we can do. But this, again, is a specific and a Jesus-centered invitation. Learn from me. We have to have a posture of learning from Jesus. It is part of the invitation to soul rest. It's an invitation to learn from him. And this invitation requires a couple of things. Requires a couple of things. First, it requires that we be teachable. Because there's no way you can learn from somebody if you don't think you have anything to learn. But if you're not willing to learn, this invitation, learn from me, necessitates a teachable spirit. You you can't learn from Jesus if you think you know everything already. You can't learn from Jesus if all you've got is answers and your mind made up about everything. It requires a teachable spirit and a humble posture where we are the learner. He is the teacher. We are the disciple and he is the master. And our posture towards him is actually, I don't know everything. In fact, I don't know much of anything, and you know everything, and so I'm here to learn from you. That's the posture it takes to enter into this invitation to learn from him. It's a teachable posture. And this invitation, learn from me, it also requires one other thing, which is relationship. Relationship with Jesus. His invitation to learn from him is not an impersonal invitation. He's not referring us to a book or to a podcast or some other kind of material out there. He's inviting us again to himself to learn from him 
in a relational way. We watch him in the New Testament walk with his disciples. He calls them to himself to be with him and to do life day in and day out. That's the context in which they learn from him. That's the context in which we learn from him, in the context of relationship with him, day in and day out. The sort of learning that he exemplifies with his, his disciples, his followers, is an apprenticeship type of learning. It's relational. You're, you're, an apprentice is, is in there side by side with the master, day in and day out. It's more than just a, a transfer of content or information. It's, it's a rubbing off of one life on another. And as that happens, you, you ask questions and you interact and you, and you learn and you listen and you, and you process and you try stuff and you do things together and you try, you try to imitate the master and, and do a little bit of what he's doing and you make mistakes and he guides you along and he shows you the right way and corrects you. It's, it's that kind of learning. It's a very relational form of learning that Jesus invites us into. Not just a transfer of information or content out there somewhere, but but it gets back to that first invitation. Come to me and learn from me. Life on life requires not just teachability, but also relationship. And these are his three invitations to us. Come to me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And then there are two promises in this passage as well. The first is, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. And if we could put the Greek up there as well, it's kind of important for understanding the, this passage. So you're going to get a little Greek lesson. Hang with me. You know, I worked really hard to learn this stuff, so you're going you're to get some. Um, and uh, yeah, if I was just talking to my friend Ming, who is part of this church, a resident high school English teacher, we could have a long, nerdy conversation about direct and indirect objects and stuff, but I'm just going to highlight a couple things in this, in this sentence that are important to understand it. So the Greek here is, ego anapao umas. And ego is like I, umas is you. And in the middle is this one word, anapao, is the, is the verb. It's the only other word in the sentence. So the important thing to see here is that there's not a word for give, like uh, give, and not a separate word for rest. So it's not like the verb is give and rest is some other thing, but rest is actually built right into the verb. Rest is part of the action. And what this highlights for us is that this is very hands-on on Jesus' part. He will, you can almost translate it, he will rest us. I will rest you. It's not like he's pointing to something out there, like, there's rest, go get it, or there's some rest, I want to give that to you, like some, some external thing. Again, it, it's incredibly intimate and relational, and it highlights this. It's, you could almost say, I will rest you. So instead of some thing out there that Jesus wants to give us, a better image might be just putting a child down at night when it's time for rest, it's time for sleep, just to hold him or her in his arms, and, and rest the child, help it to surrender, tuck it in, help it to, to enter into rest, really. I will rest you. Jesus wants to do it. Jesus wants to be the rester of our souls. And then the other thing in this sentence, grammatically, that's interesting is the word ego, I. And the thing about it is that word actually does not need to be in there for us to understand it. 
Because Greek is one of those languages where the, the ending of the verb tells you who's, who's doing it. So the fact that it is anapao with o at the end means I will give you rest. But ego is in there, and that's a very intentional choice on Matthew's part, because anytime you actually say the pronoun, say ego in the New Testament is for emphasis. Emphasis, as if to really go out of the way to highlight Jesus is the one doing this. Jesus is the one performing the action. Jesus is the actor here. You can almost translate it, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, uh, or come unto me, you who are weary and burdened, and I, I will give you rest. Not just that you'll, you, you know, there'll be rest there, but I will give you rest. Strong emphasis on who's doing it, who's performing the action. This is very important and foundational for us for the whole rest of this series. It's critical that we get this. And when it comes to soul rest, Jesus is the one who does it. Jesus is the one who gives it. Jesus is the one performing the action and not us. This is not a do-it-yourself project or a self-help thing. This is something Jesus does and Jesus wants to do that we're to enter into and we're to receive. This has been really important for me to understand. If I'm honest with you, when it comes to rest of really any kind, I'm I'm pretty bad at it, actually. I'm not good at resting. It seems like such a basic human function, but I'm terrible at it. And my whole adult life, I really, I've struggled with inconsistent sleep and the ability to to rest well. Uh, I've struggled to kind of shut things off and take the time that I need for, for rest. I've str- I struggle to turn off the anxious thoughts and voices running through my head. I've just always struggled with this, struggled to rest. And I know that rest is good, and so then I start to think, how can I do it better? I've got to get better at this. I've got to rest better. And I have tried it all. I, I really have tried it all, and a lot of things help, and it's worth doing. But at the end of the day, what's been foundational for me to understand is that rest is not just another thing for me to strive at. Not just another thing for me to be anxious about and not just another thing to perform at. Rest that Jesus is talking about, rest for your soul, is fundamentally a gift from Jesus, not an accomplishment. Rest for our souls that we're talking about here is a gift from Jesus, not something for us to accomplish, to achieve, to strive after, but something to receive. It is something that Jesus gives, something that Jesus does, that Jesus performs. Our posture is to receive. And so I do not want you to hear any of us saying in this series that we're talking about rest for our souls, so y'all better start resting better and get more rest. Take better care of yourselves. Absolutely, that is not what we're saying. This is an invitation from Jesus to receive. We're talking about something that Jesus does, that Jesus gives, that Jesus offers. Rest for our souls. I, I will give you rest. And the second promise here is that, is like the first, you will find rest for your souls as he does this and as we receive from him. You will find rest for your souls. And this is a particular kind of rest. One more Greek lesson. The word here for soul is the word psuche. And it's important to know what this means. So, Soul, our soul, is not just some part of us in there somewhere, like a subset of who we are. We have our bodies, we have our minds, we have our hearts, and and somewhere in there there's this soul thingy. 
that's mysterious and vague, spiritual, who knows. But soul here, this word, suke, is, is kind of the totality of who we are. Not some little part of who we are, not a subset of who we are, but, but it's our being. So it can also be translated from Greek, our, our being, our life, our self. Not just a little part of our being, a little part of our life, a little part of our self, but the very thing. And that's what Jesus is promising here. Rest for our selves. Rest for our being. Rest for our souls. That's a particular kind of rest. It's not about just more sleep, more vacation days, longer weekends, bubble baths, (laughs) cozy blankets, whatever it is we might find externally restful things. This is rest for our souls. And it's actually not about external things at all. In fact, it's the opposite of that. This is a type of rest Jesus promises no matter whether the circumstances are restful or not. And that's a beautiful thing. I want to remind us of last week's big idea from, from the message. I'll put it back up there. And I'd, I'd love us to actually say this together again. Last week's big idea is that the default posture for a child of God in any circumstance is their soul at rest. In any circumstance. There are some circumstances that are restful and many that are not. And Jesus is offering to us a type of rest that's present no matter what the externals might be. Whether life is conducive to rest or life is not conducive to rest at all. Jesus wants to give a rest that only he can give and that he can give regardless of what the externals are, regardless of what the circumstances are. That's what we're talking about. Restful rest for our souls. Not about restful conditions, not about restful circumstances, but restful souls. And it's often under actually the most duress and the toughest conditions and the least restful times of our lives where Jesus proves himself to be true about this. We can experience a rest from him that that defies expectation, that defies logic even, but is there because he can do it. Rest for our souls. And he says, we'll find it. You will find rest for your souls. Now remember, it comes after everything else, these invitations. Come to me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. And you will find rest for your souls. When he says this, he is alluding back, actually, to an Old Testament passage where where this phrase comes from, rest for your souls. We'll look at it quickly from Jeremiah, the prophet. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16 says, This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus takes that phrase here. And it's important to know the context here. When Jeremiah was speaking and preaching, these words was not a restful time at all in the life of God's people, in the nation of Israel. It was not a restful time. They were actually under a yoke, a very oppressive yoke from the Babylonian Empire, which was ruthlessly seeking to annihilate them. It was a very restless time. And Jeremiah points the way for them for where they can find rest for their souls. And it's interesting, it's not just in throwing off the oppressive yoke of of the surroundings, 
but actually in returning to the ancient paths and to the good way and walking in it. What they'd been doing was kind of doing their own thing, disregarding God's law, disregarding God's commandments, disregarding God's words to them. And Jeremiah is calling them back to it. The ancient paths, the good way. Walk in it. Do what God's been asking of you. Serve and obey God. Walk with him. And you will find rest for your souls. He's not just saying, get out from underneath the yoke of oppression that you're under, but actually come under the yoke of God. Come under the leadership of God. Submit yourselves to the authority of God once again. And it's there that you'll find rest for your souls. And that is our great paradox. That in finding rest and finding freedom, it is actually not just for coming out from under oppressive and bad yokes, but actually coming under the yoke, under the leadership, and submitting to the lordship and leadership of Jesus. And he says, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. It's a paradox on the surface. By nature, a yoke is not easy. And a burden is not a light thing. It's a heavy thing. But Jesus is able to, to redefine this as only he can do. He does this a lot, actually. Jesus is the one who said, if you want to be great, awesome, be great. The way to be great is to serve. And to be truly great, you'll be the servant of all. Jesus is the one who said, the way to find life is to lose your life for me and for the gospel, to lay down your life. That's how you find life. Jesus is the one who, who took the, the cross, the most vile and profound symbol of shame that the world had ever come up with. The cross was all about shame. It was all about pointing to the person on it and saying, don't be like that. Jesus took that cross, that symbol of shame, and turned it into a symbol of glory and honor and a thing to point to to say, walk in that way. So he does these things, and, and none of these things make any sense apart from Jesus. They don't. But he makes sense of them, and he defines them. And this is it again. Apart from Jesus, this doesn't really make sense. An easy yoke, a light burden. We would see the initial invitation of this passage and think, oh great, he's calling to those who are burdened. He wants to give us rest. That means no more burdens. Hooray! A life free of any kind of burdens. That's not at all what this invitation is about. It's not just an invitation to kick back, have a carefree existence, burden-free life. That's kind of what we might naturally think. It's a human condition to think our freedom is found in being able to do whatever the heck we want to. But it just isn't. True freedom is found in coming under the authority, the leadership, the yoke, the burden of Jesus. I'm so grateful for Zach and my friends in the recovery study. I'm learning probably more than they are as we study God's word together. It's so foundational to the recovery journey, this concept of surrendering the will. And, the, and, and they know this. They know this at the, at the core of their being. The, way, the path towards freedom from addiction is surrender of the will to God, not in just going off and doing whatever. It's in surrender that we find freedom. Paradoxical, but with Jesus it makes total sense. 
And it's and to find freedom from the burdens that Jesus wants to lift from us and from the yokes he wants to break off us is to come under his yoke, come under his burden, to submit to him, to be his disciple, his student, for him to be the master and for him to be the Lord. Goes against our way of thinking, but that is how we will truly find rest for our souls as a disciple of Jesus. And listen, this invitation to soul rest, this invitation to be a disciple of Jesus, is not an invitation to a life with no constraints, but the right constraints. It's not an invitation to a life with no hardships, but the right ones. It's not an invitation to a life of carefree ease and no struggle and no striving, but the right kind, the right yoke, the right burden, the one that he, who is the lover of our souls and gentle and meek in heart, places on our shoulders. And I'm telling you, the invitation to soul rest and to come to Jesus is not an invitation to a life with no demands on us at all. In fact, life as a disciple of Jesus is incredibly demanding. It's incredibly demanding. We hear the initial part of this invitation. We think, oh, 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 so free, no more burdens. Well, it's about the right burdens, the ones that Jesus would place on us and the ones that Jesus would carry with us. But life with him, it does come with a yoke. It does come with demands. And it does come by submission. But again, we've got to know that, that he is gentle humble of heart. He is the lover of our souls. I will testify to you that my own life with Jesus has been demanding in some ways, more demanding than the life I would have chosen for myself. In many ways, more demanding than the life I would have chosen for myself. In many ways, it has been a journey and a life of saying no to the thing that I would have wanted to do, to say yes to the thing that he would want. That's a pattern and a theme. It's come with demands that I wouldn't have taken upon myself to love and to serve and to join with him in mission and caring for others and for the world. It's been an invitation to enter into pain and suffering of other people at a level that I never, ever would have chosen on my own. And it has literally meant sleepless nights sometimes, saying yes to Jesus and obeying him has has directly led to that. And you might think, well, that doesn't sound very restful. (laughs) But I'm here to tell you that it is. Not externally, but because in following him, there is soul rest. And in everything I've described has meant life with Jesus. In deeper and deeper intimacy with him. So I want to come back one last time to the image of a yoke. And it's not just... A, a, a burden, but a yoke also represents a joining together. And sometimes a picture can, can tell a thousand words, but life with Jesus is life not of being sent off to carry burdens on our own, but to be joined together with him. Joined together with him. And this is the life I want to live, and this is the life I want for all of you to say yes to as he invites us to come to him. Join together with Jesus. Whatever is behind that we're carrying, whatever is on our shoulders that we're carrying, and whatever is ahead, life ought to look like this, shoulder to shoulder with Jesus as he not only places his yoke upon our shoulders, but carries it with us and continues to call out, come to me, 
Come to me, and I, I will give you rest. It's all about Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, it is all about you. Thank you that you are calling us not just to rest as a thing, but you are calling us to yourself. You who are, is the rester of our souls and the giver of rest. Thank you. It is, it is all about you and that you are the lover of our souls. I pray, Lord, now as we hear your invitation to come to me, that you would give us the grace to receive that. You are calling to each one of us right now in this space, come to me. Come to me. And I want to pray for freedom, Lord, for whatever may be holding any of us back from that. Where we need to surrender our own will. Where we need to trust you and to trust your character, your good character and your good intentions. Where we need to give up fighting. Or where we need to stop thinking we know everything and to say, yes, teach me. I want to learn from you. Break us loose and free, O oh God, from everything that would keep us from heeding and following your invitation to yourself, that we might have you and find you and have all the soul rest that comes with that. Free us to say yes and give us the rest that you promised, O oh God, because we can't make it for ourselves. We can't manufacture it for ourselves, but we look to you and we trust you and your good word and your good promises. In Jesus' name, amen.